Hello, and welcome to The Thin End of the Wedge, the podcast where experts from around the world share new and interesting stories about life in the ancient Middle East. My name's John. Each episode, I talk to friends and colleagues and get them to explain their work in a way we can all understand. Iraq is famously home to two great rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates. In the south, life depended on them, and therefore was organised around them. They watered the crops, as well as being rich sources of food, and they served as highways, connecting the people with cities near and far. They could act as barriers to protect cities, or weapons to attack them. Archaeology in southern Iraq has usually focused on the monumental centres of major cities, the great temples and palaces. Less attention has been paid to the waterways that supported them, the dried-up old courses of rivers, the networks of irrigation canals, and agricultural infrastructure all help us to better understand the changing fortunes of cities. Our guest is a geo-archaeologist, equally at home with satellite imagery as with traditional archaeological trowel. His work has helped put Mesopotamian cities back into their landscape. His expertise is much sought after, bringing him into collaborations with excavation teams working across the south. He's also a very generous scholar, training countless colleagues how to do this work, and especially supporting younger colleagues, despite his busy schedule. His energy, openness and generosity are what inspired this podcast. So get yourself a cup of tea, make yourself comfortable, and let's meet today's guest. Hello, and welcome to Thin End of the Wedge. Thank you for joining us. Hello, how are you, John? Can you tell us, please, who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm Ja'far Jodari. I'm a geoarchaeologist, so I'm half geologist and half archaeologist. I'm currently an assistant professor at Faculty of Archaeology at Al-Qadis University, and I'm also the vice dean there. You're famous for your work on waterways. What makes you so interested in them? I love the waterway because my background, actually, I have, let's say, two backgrounds. One, I'm a geologist, so always geologist dealing with the surface of the earth. So anything related with geomorphology, geology, waterways, topography. So I love waterway because my background is a geologist. And the second reason why I love waterway because my other background is a farmer. I mean, my father, my grandfather. All of them are farmers. So we are dealing with irrigation system, digging canal, and always living close to the rivers. So you see, both of these backgrounds actually encouraged me to study waterways. And my, let's say, undergraduate and postgraduate, my master, I did lots of work on the Tigris and Euphrates and their branches in terms of geology and geomorphology. And when I, let's say, submit my application to study my PhD, I met the late Professor Tony Wilkinson, who is the maybe the best landscape archaeologist, maybe in the world, let's say. 
So he actually encouraged me to study the waterway in the south in Mesopotamia. And we agreed. So I started my PhD project on studying the waterway of southern Mesopotamia. Can you tell us about waterways in Iraq? What types are there and why are they important? So when I say the waterways, I mean several things, like a general term of water running in the surface, let's say. But we have a natural river, for example, the natural river of Euphrates and Tigris. And we have artificial or anthropogenic canals. So when people dig canals, this is the second type. The third type, actually, are the roads. When you drive your boat in the marshes, then we have hollow ways. It's also a waterway. Uh, and we have the trenches when we have trench and then uh, people use the same trench for irrigation or draining water. So you see, I mean, waterways are several types here in Southern Mesopotamia. And why waterways? I studied them in the Southern Mesopotamia, not in the North Mesopotamia. In the North, we have little waterways because the irrigation there depends on the rain. We have like a continuous rain there. But in the South, we don't have that much of rain. Then the people, the farmer, always rely on the surface water, which is the only two main rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. So that's why the waterway or the water, actually, the surface water, let's say, is really important in the southern Mesopotamia. The second uh, reason that I you know, selected the southern Mesopotamia because I live there. I live in the southern Mesopotamia, in Babylon, and like a member of staff in Al-Qadisi University. It's also in the southern part of Iraq. Of course, I, from time to time, I have a friend in the north, let's say in Diyala or in Tikrit, in, in Ambar, and Mosul. I did my undergraduate there in Mosul. But the landscape or the future is different. What new information can we learn from this then? And, you know, the other thing is that waterways, it's endless, endless type or endless finding of waterways. So even scholars started 50 years ago, maybe 100 years ago, they started studying Tigris and Tigris. But every time, every scholar, when studying study the waterways, he or she will find lots of new types or sometimes a new kind of waterway. For example, when the excavation started in South Mesopotamia, in the 1970s, 1980s, people studied the waterways, the ancient Tigris or ancient Euphrates, and the ancient irrigation system. But when I came, actually, in 2012, when I started my PhD, I discovered lots of ancient irrigation system and also ancient courses of Tigris and Euphrates. People came after me, actually, and studied the South Mesopotamia they also found several types of waterways. My students, actually I have two or three students now working on reconstruction of irrigation system in southern Mesopotamia and, and in, in different parts of southern Mesopotamia. When they started studying the landscape, they found different types or different courses that I didn't discover in my PhD. 
The last thing maybe is that I use waterways to discover archaeological sites because I trained my eyes when I see or look at the satellite image, I can pick up the trace of an ancient river or ancient canal. Then I do zoom or focus on the canal or the river, and then I will find lots of archaeological sites associated with the river or canal. So you see, it's a tool to discover new sites. And I'm always teaching my students that if you spot or if you find any type of ancient river or ancient canal, then you try to search or try to discover sites because in the south of Mesopotamia, it's like a rule. When you have a river, you will find archaeological site. When you find archaeological site, you will find a river because there is no river without a site and vice versa. It's different from the northern Mesopotamia. Sometimes we have a site without a river close to it, or sometimes we have a river without site close to it. But in South Mesopotamia, always we have a river, then we have a site close to it. So, for example, this rule, let's say, I'm always explaining, let's say, in Arabic, I'm always doing a talk and you know teaching my undergraduate and postgraduate this method. So it's so easy they can use satellite image to recognize or to reconstruct the ancient waterways. I, I taught them how to discover that. Then when they go to the field, actually, they can recognize the ancient canal or ancient river, and then they can walk over the, the trace. And they discovered actually lots of sites. So they call, they call me or they sometimes you know, write to me that, okay, Jafar, we, we follow your rule. We discover the river and then we searched for the site and we discover several sites. You know, discovering a new site, the Ministry of Culture or the SBAH, the State of Antiquities and Heritage in Baghdad, if you found a new site, they will give you a reward. So uh, people actually have like, started following my, let's say, my rule to discover more archaeological sites. It is not like a theoretical study when we study in office and then do something and keep it on the shelf in our library. It's practical things. You don't need a high sophisticated technique or high sophisticated devices. You can only use your mobile. If you install Google Earth or another app like Maverick, you will have like a high-resolution satellite image. Then you can discover or you can see the ancient waterways clearly in your mobile. And you can search around it to discover sites. It's uh, as simple as that. The southern part of Iraq is filled with sites. And then it's so easy for everyone, not everyone I mean, but for the expert, let's say, the archaeologists who are belong maybe university or the State Board of Antiquities to discover sites. What's the relationship between archaeological sites and waterways? Yeah, actually, you know, the, the egg and the chicken. So who is fed, the, the sites or the river? When we have a river close to the site, then actually we start questioning which one is best. And sometimes, you know, we have like a canal or a river, ancient river, let's say. 
and we have a site. So how many occupation period in this site? 10 occupation periods. Let's say this site started from opaque period, four or 5,000 BC, and then ended in the Sasanian period in the first millennium AD. So you see, we have a wide range of occupation there, more than 6,000 years. Did the river stay in the same place? Did the river flood or did people dig the river? Uh, how many times? The issue of rivers in southern Iraq, actually, they are not running in the same place for a long time. So rivers in southern Iraq always changing their course. I'm always giving example about southern Mesopotamia looks like a football stadium when the players can move everywhere in the square. So Tigris and Juvalites actually are free to move within the whole southern Mesopotamia. Tigris, you can see it now, Tigris is to the east of Iraq and Euphrates to the west. But imagine sometimes in the past, Euphrates actually went to the east. And of course, Tigris sometimes can go to the west. They are not stable in the same place. So when we see a site close to the river, we should study the relationship between them because the river is not only a source for the fresh water. River can be used for ritual things, for irrigation, and sometimes they use it for war when they break the levees and flood the town or the cities of the enemies. So there should be a relationship between the river and the site. During the excavation, scholars or the excavators or the archaeologists, let's say, they should not only digging the sites and finding architecture, graves, cuneiforms, potteries on the site, but they also should dig in the river to see its age, how long it has been running, how many courses. Did the river flood dry or it's stable? Did the people dig the river or it's natural one? So lots of studies can we extract from rivers. I read lots of cuneiforms mentioned how people dealt with river or canals. So because it's part of their life. You know, cuneiforms, of course, documenting everyday lives of the, let's say, ancient people. So some of cuneiforms actually mentioned how people dug the river, how many workers, how did they plan to dig or construct a canal, how long does it take, who did order the digging of the canal, and why they dug it. Maybe because it's uh, for, let's say, irrigation purposes, or for defensive, or for drain the water, or just to protect their cities from flooding. All of this information actually has been written in the cuneiform tablets. That's why I call every astrologist to have a wide knowledge about canals or rivers because, you know, it was mentioned in the cuneiform tablets. So I know lots of astrologists who have a good background about landscape archaeology, geomorphology, geology, and they actually wrote more about the ancient waterways. Why? Because 
first, they are a seriologist, so they know how to read and analysis and explain and describe cuneiform tablets. And second, because they have good background about the movement of the river, how people used or dig the canals. They have some information about the farm, how did people do farming in the past, so they can actually produce good paper. I'm always following Stephanie Rost because she is an astrologist and also have a, a wide range of knowledge about the undiscovered archaeology or irrigation system. She is just an example of a seriologist who have a, a knowledge in, you know, ArcGIS using satellite image and, of course, has lots of information about the irrigation system. How do you do this kind of work? We called ourselves as off-site archaeologists or off-site scholars because the river and the canal and the farms actually are all outside of the mound. So when I go to the mound, I just have a look about the geomorphology of the site and then ask the archaeologist to give me an idea about how many occupation period in the site. And then I go to do my work, which I love, actually, discovering new rivers and new canals and the new irrigation system, new farms. I go outside of the mound or of the site and then starting discovering these sites. I start with remote sensing using satellite image, high-resolution satellite image, like the one in Google, for example. And I also sometimes use corona satellite image, uh, not corona the virus, but corona the ancient satellite image. It uh, dated back to the 1950s. Why I use corona satellite image? Because it can show me the landscape before any destruction, any change. In the 1950s, we don't have that much of irrigation project or farming projects or even the urbanism. So using high-resolution satellite image and corona image, and of course, with the ground truthing, then I can easily discover the ancient farm, the ancient canal, the ancient river close to the site. I don't need lots of people around me, but I need them when I decide to dig, when I find the canal or the river, I need to dig a section to discover the layers, the beds of the canal or the ancient river. We do like a six meter long branch. The width should be like one meter and a half. And we dig as deep as we can. In some trenches, we dug up to three meters. Why we dig across the canal? because we need to see how many courses in this canal, when it was dug, and its dimension, I mean, the width, the length, and the depth. And also, you know, we need to date these canals. So that's why we should dig. If I can give you, like, a picture about how I can work with archaeologists. So I dig close to the site, they dig on top of the site. Because the river and canal, as I mentioned, farms located out of the sites. You see the picture now. Geoarchaeologists, let's say landscape archaeologists, 
they are dealing with the area around the site. If I can say it's a new technique, so it's not a traditional excavation or traditional way of surveying. It's a modern way because people used to dig or search or focus on only the site. But now you see, sometimes we have a full project dealing with archaeology, but not with the sites, only dealing with the irrigation system, farms, etc., for example, we have a good project funded by the BISI to discover the ancient farm around Erido. So we didn't go to Erido, the site. Erido located to the south of Iraq, close to Ur. But we did our work around Erido site. We covered the area by remote sensing and we constructed or traced the ancient rivers and canal and farms. And then we do ground truthing to see the reality of what we have reconstructed on remote sensing. We went there, we found the farms, we found the canals, we found the ancient rivers, and actually we dug trenches across this waterways feature, and we collected shale sample for radiocarbon dating to date these features. So this is how I conduct my work, yeah. You're active in many different collaborations, aren't you? I think I did lots of contribution to the field of archaeology here in Iraq. I'm always like approachable, so simple, friend of everyone. I have lots of students. You know, I have been teaching since 2004, imagine, so more than 17 or 18 years of studying in Al Qadsi University. So each year we graduate lots of students and they go to get a job in the State Board of Antiquities or everywhere in Iraq. I'm always insisted that I should keep contact with them in the social media or my phone number or my email. So when I have like a good news or something new, let's say, I'm always trying to send it to them. So that's why I'm connected with lots of archaeologists here in, in Iraq. Whenever I publish a new paper, I send it to them. Whenever they have a question about how they use GIS, how, how can they use the apps in mobile, or how can they use you know, the maps, the image in their survey, so I'm there. They know me very well. As I mentioned, I'm approachable. You know, of course, we do have lots of professors in the Iraq universities across the country. But not all of them approachable. Some of them built uh, a barrier between them and their students. And, you know, students sometimes afraid of approaching them or contacting them. But I'm a different academic. The other thing is that why uh, waterways are important. You know, the international teams, let's say the foreign team, who are doing some excavation in Iraq. They used to do just digging in the site. Most of them, they know me maybe from the social media or from a conference, or maybe we are in the same age or so. So when they came to Iraq, they contacted me. Okay, Jafar, we are here. If you come to see us, to say hello. Then I go to them, and then maybe we can visit the site together. 
Then I started telling them about where is the waterways of the Sai. Of course, they have an idea about the waterways in the site, but they are not planning to do research about it. However, they really think that, okay, Jafar, can you join our team and work with us? Maybe in the next year, let's say, to conduct the waterway investigation. And I accept the offer when the next year came, I go to the site with them and, you know, using the remote sensing and the ground truthing, digging, and we discovered lots of ancient waterways. I did that in several sites in Iraq. For example, I mean, I did uh, good work with the amazing team of the British Museum in Gerso. I also did some work about the ancient irrigation system or ancient waterway in Abu Tubera with the Italian team. They have a brilliant archaeologist and they did a great job there. And I also joined Manchester University and worked in Charaks in Basra, North Basra. Yeah, so Gerso and Abu Tubera archaeological site located in, in Diqar in the south of Iraq. And Charaks is a site located in Basra, and it's just north of Basra. And I also joined the Russian team in Tel Dehela, also part of Diqar in the south of Iraq. This is, I mean, physically, of course, I did lots of work with foreign team in remote sensing, I mean, online, I mean, not in the field. And we produced several uh, research and articles. I'm lucky, I think, because I studied the waterways. You see how Iraqis benefit from my specialty. And you see the foreign team, how they eager to cooperate with me. Yeah, so I'm lucky to study this type of geoarchaeology in southern Iraq. Yeah. You also put a lot of effort into communication, don't you? You're very active on social media and you have a hectic schedule of public talks. My way of studying archaeology, which is geoarchaeology, actually contributed a lot to the archaeology heritage and knowledge of Southern Mesopotamia. So that's why I have lots of, uh, let's say, followers on Facebook. I have around 5,000 followers on Facebook and also on Twitter. And, you know, I have endless, endless list of talk and uh, meetings, uh, WhatsApp groups. Thank you very much. You are welcome. I'd also like to thank our patrons, Tyler Russell, Enrique Jimenez, Haida Orakabi, Jana Matushak, Nancy Highcock, JC, Runa Rattenborg, Woodthrush, Elisa Horsberger, Mark Whedon, Jordi Companies. Thomas Bolin, Joan Porter McGeever, John McGuinness, Andrew George, Yelena Rockage, Michael Katsevman, Mend Mariwani, Catherine Topper, Zach Rubin, Sabina Franke, and Sophus Heller. I really appreciate your support. It makes a big difference. And thank you for listening to Thin End of the Wedge. If you enjoy what we do, please consider supporting us via Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash wedgepod. Even a couple of pounds a month helps keep the podcast going and brings us closer to the point where we can make proper translations into Middle Eastern languages. You can also support us in other ways. Simply subscribe to the podcast. 
leave us a five-star review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Recommend us to your friends. Follow us on Twitter at wedge underscore pod. If you want the latest podcast news, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can find all the links in the show notes and on our website at wedgepod.org. W-E-D-G-E-P-O-D dot org. Thanks, and I hope you'll join us next time.